Hi, I'm Tim. This is We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit. I think one of the best ways for each of us to grow as people is by learning from each other. If you enjoy today's episode, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you're listening from. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Dixon, who is a wife, a mother, a former professional in the energy industry for almost 15 years. And now she's the owner of Thrive Yoga and Wellness Studio, a yoga studio in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Jennifer, I'm going to start here because I've, I feel like I've talked to quite a few yogi now. I've, I feel like yoga is everywhere. I don't, I'm going to be fully honest here. I don't 100% understand. I've seen pictures of people doing yoga. I've seen people (laughs) in person doing yoga, but like what, like what is yoga? Is it stretching? Like to me, it looks like stretching and I don't mean that in like a derogatory, like, oh, it's just stretching, but like, what, what is it? That's a fantastic and really super heavy question to start out with. So thank you for having me. And I love the fact that you're just like, here, jump in. Here's the deep end, 13 feet right there. So yoga is, I, I love it. I love it. Yoga is a lot of different things to a lot of different people, I guess. And so for some people and some types of yoga, it is stretching. It is 100% stretching. Um to some people, it is one of these eight limbs of a faith. Um, to me, personally, I came to yoga because I have a, a back injury, a herniated disc in my low back, and I didn't want to have surgery. And so this became a therapeutic, a therapy for me, for lack of any other word. And then it became my outlet because I had always been very active. I had always been, you know, I, I used to be into CrossFit. I used to be into running and, and all of these things. And I hurt myself and I couldn't do that anymore. Got super depressed. I found yoga. Yoga helped fix my back, but now it's also my physical outlet. And you know, in the West, we we tend to be more into that. It's just stretching component. But in the East, that that's just one facet of it. You know, there's the meditation part. There's the breathing part. There's a chanting part. There's all sorts of different things. But the beauty of yoga is that it can be whatever it is that you need it to be. Yeah, that's the part I think that would confuse me is I see the stretching part, but I also understand there's like a wellness, like you said, meditation chanting part too so i i yeah i didn't understand if it was like like an exercise or more of like meditation or i i guess i understand a little bit better now so it's like it's almost like a state of mind is that the idea like both physically but also mentally that's an that's a a a great way of summarizing it in some ways and for some people, you know, but some people, it truly is just exercise. And if you get into some of the, the rabbit holes, like in Facebook and on social media, people get like nasty and very, I'm using air quotes here, non-yogi about the physical people, the people that are just coming to yoga to get sweaty or whatever, like, cause, Oh, they're not diving deep enough into this practice. And 
that just kind of makes me in a very non-yoga way, like roll my eyes, but it's, that's just kind of like, cause again, I'm in the South, I'm in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. That'd be like the same thing as having somebody at church say, you can't come here because you're not wearing a dress. Like God doesn't care what you're wearing. You know what I mean? It's the same, the same premise for me. Yoga is whatever it is that you need it to be. So if you need it to be that physical outlet, let it be. But if you need it to be more of that, that, spiritual outlet, then let it be that for you too. And so it, it is, you know, a state of mind, but it's, it's exactly what it is that you need it to be. No more, nor no less. Nice. I love it. So this podcast, you know, when I first started it, my tagline has been kind of like celebrating the resilience of the human spirit. And so when, when we connected and you kind of shared your story, so you were a former professional in the energy industry for quite a long time. You go on maternity leave, having your first child, and then you come back and then it turns out you get laid off, which obviously you weren't expecting. Um, So that's in my mind, I I think about this in terms of like when life knocks us down, how do we get back up? In my mind, that's like life knocking you down. I have a, maybe a technicality here though, question. I thought it was illegal to lay somebody off in the corporate world if they come back from attorney leave? Like, aren't there laws protecting that? Yeah, well, they. I got to work for an additional two and a half weeks and just just about two and a half weeks, I think. And they they gave me a very nice severance package and I didn't have to sign that paper. You know, like I, I could have been ugly about it, but... <sighs> Tim, I will just be honest. We, I'd seen some of the writing on the wall before I'd even left my maternity leave. The man that had, had recruited me into that position had left the company. The company was nosediving. Like the, the stock price just went to, to hell in a handbasket. And so when that guy left, I went home, I was seven months pregnant at the time. I, you know, so that's impossible to go getting a job. You know, I know that people are not supposed to be biased, like you said, but let's just be honest. Nobody's going to want to hire a lady that's about to have a kid. And I said, honey, I'm in trouble. And this guy left that I don't have anybody protecting me. I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose my job. So all of maternity leave, all of those last, that last trimester, I was, I was actively looking for a job. And then when I got back to work, I, they weren't giving me any of my projects back because at the time I was in development. So I was developing some power plants, like I said, outside of Chicago, like where you are and then up in the Cape and no, I wasn't given back any of those projects. And the, I got laid off on a Friday. So the Wednesday beforehand, I had actually had a, a lunch meeting with my old boss to see if there was a position. Cause I just knew something was on. So to answer your question, there it could it was a very very gray area my sister is a, a lawyer so i did discuss it with her um <laughs> but it was who's what i guess this can also come into yoga and i'm struggling here to find my words it's like i wanted to go home i'm not gonna lie tim i had my first baby i was 12 hours sure, away from sure. my my parents i was 12 hours away from any family and I had was living the dream prior to maternity leave that I thought, you know, I, I remember I was really pregnant up in this 
this sky rise in the city of Boston overlooking the harbor. I had never been so cold ever. There were like, I swear to you, icebergs in the harbor. And I was, I, I was like looking out being like, this is so freaking cool. And then on the flip side, I had to go to the bathroom like every 30 minutes. Cause I'm crazy pregnant and my pantyhose are uncomfortable, you know? So it, it, there was this, this tugging about how cool it was to be finally making it quote unquote, making it corporate world. And yet there's this kid I got to take care of. And then all of maternity leave, I fell in love with being a mom. And which is really funny because I never really thought I was going to have kids. And so when I went back to work, I didn't want to go to work. I didn't, I didn't want to travel to Boston the way that I used to. I didn't want to travel to Chicago. I didn't want to go to anywhere. I just wanted to come home and be with my kids. So honestly, Tim, to answer your question, like five minutes later, there were some gray areas. There obviously anybody can fight anything, but is it worth the fight? Because I wanted to go home. This is interesting. I, you know, you falling in love with being a mother over maternity leave, and then I mentioned, you know, I view you getting laid off as being knocked down. Now I'm reconsidering. Like maybe it was a good thing that you got <laughs> laid off. You know what I mean? Like as yeah. terrible as that sounds. <laughs> There's, I definitely have, it's, it's this like love hate. Cause I am not going to lie Tim. I miss my paychecks. I miss my husband and I would take a trip every year. We would go somewhere, you know, foreign or whatever. And I would go shopping whenever I wanted to go. It, it, was, it was silly. Cause we were young. We both had good jobs. He got laid off the Wednesday before me. So we got laid off in the same week, two completely different industries. And that to me, so it was an, it was like a rug taken out from under us for sure. It was and I fell really hard, but on the flip side of it, that to me is kind of, there's some, something bigger going on here when something lines up that quickly and that uh, beautifully disturbing, that seems like there's some divine intervention. And so it was, I'm not going to, yeah, you were right. That knocked me down. Uh, yeah, for sure. To go from that sort of a standard of living to, we moved back home and we lived in my father-in-law's basement apartment. Like, that's a pretty big blow to the ego, but you know, in a yoga practice, we're supposed to be controlling that ego, right? Yeah. So what, you know, I think it's important. I, I want to touch upon going from that lifestyle to like you, you said you were living in your father-in-law's apartment. Basement apartment, even better basement apartment. Okay. So very little sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, I mean, prior to you and your husband both getting laid off in the same week, which is absolutely insane. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, just from so many angles. But um, prior to that, uh, you mentioned you're taking a nice vacation. Um, do you both each have a car? I mean, what is what is life like? And it, I'm just curious, like, you, to some extent, did have this all taken away from you, like swept, a, you know, the rug taken out from under you, like you said. I'm just curious, like, to understand how big of an impact that was, what was life like, you know, in the the years prior to, to this? <laughs> we paid more in taxes that last year than my older sister has ever made in a year there. <laughs> that that okay. it was, it was insane. <laughs> my older sister is a teacher here. She's got a master's degree in Tennessee. And, and it, we would joke about that because it was, that was just, that was our life. And at, to me, that was exactly what I wanted because I grew up in a, in, in 
my mom was a, a school teacher and my dad was in construction, a very, very, I guess that would be modest middle income family. And I, and I, my dad used to joke that he, my, my, my younger sister, who's a lawyer and I, we would, we would dream about being in suits and having offices, you know, like little girls, you normally dream of having kids and all that. And I remember distinctly telling my dad, I'm never going to have to worry about money. I don't want to worry about money. I want to be able to go on trips that I wanted. So we had, my husband and I had made that. And then it got taken away <laughs> very abruptly in a way that we weren't expecting, but has ultimately been a blessing. Yeah. I, if you, you know, if, if as a kid you're saying, I don't want to have to worry about money, I want to, you know, I want to make sure I'm okay from that side of things. And then you successfully achieve that with the help of your husband and, you know, together as a unit, you've done this. And then, you know, one week it just disappears. I I wouldn't be okay with that right away. <laughs> um, you sound okay with that now, but but let's go back to then. I can't imagine you were okay with that. I mean, I would have probably been screaming my head off. You know, I didn't cry. That it was really funny you said that. I knew something was up on that day because the secretary was avoiding eye contact like it was nobody's business. And she and I had been pretty tight. Like I always want to be friends with whoever is helping me. I want to I want to be tight with them because they're the ones that can make things happen, right? That's and good advice. She she wouldn't she wouldn't look at me. And so I and I actually remember texting my husband, I was like, something's not right. I'll let you know. And cause he was home, because again, he'd been laid off. And um Anyways, so they called me in. It was a Friday um, around like 3.34 and I was, I had just finished pumping for like the third time and you don't need to pump that much when your child is, um, you know, four months old, but I had nothing else to do because they were literally not giving me anything. And um, they called me into the the little office and I had, a, I'd had a new supervisor and she, I don't, I don't want to talk anything, but, but we, it was never the same kind of connection that I'd had with the previous um, supervisor. And there was a box of tissues there, like this huge brand new box of tissues there. So you could totally tell they were prepared for a crying fit. And, um, this is like what you hear about in movies. Yeah. I yeah. It like. totally, it totally was something that like, it could have been in the movie. She was in there. She had HR on the phone cause it was a big company. And, um, I knew it like going in, I, I, I knew. And, the interesting thing, Tim, and whether or not your listeners are religious or into, into yoga, however it is, I had an, an overwhelming sense of peace. And um, that doesn't, that may not make sense, but it, that's the only thing I can explain. So I knew what was going on as soon as I walked in, they, they, they kind of pushed the tissues over and I pushed them away and the, they, they told me what was going on. I was like, I don't need this. Uh, what's my severance package? What, how long do I have insurance and what do I need to do to get out? And I, I left the meeting that my boss, I remember her eyes got big and her mouth kind of opened and, but this is, I haven't really thought about it this deeply, Tim. The The truth of it is, is it's like yeah, life is going to throw some curveballs at you. But if you, if you start just pitching a fit and throwing things, that's not exactly the best way of handling it. And I don't know what it was, but it, I just had this overwhelming sense of peace and I left and didn't go back, never went back. I never saw any of those 
those people that I was working with directly again. And there, I had a lot of great coworkers, but it was just this overwhelming sense of let's get out of here. My husband and I moved home two and a half weeks later and, you know, neither of us ever cried. We never screamed. Um, I remember I was actually kind of like probably a little insanely laughing when I was driving out of the parking lot. Cause seriously, like how ironic is that out of the blue, he gets laid off on Wednesday, two days later. I, and it was Halloween, Halloween, 2015. I got laid off on Halloween, 2015. And I'm like, honey, I don't know what's going on, but there is God's doing something. I don't know what it is. We just need to be open to it. And, um, and he's like, why are you laughing? And I was like, seriously, this is what happens in a movie. This is what happens in a movie before somebody like, wasn't there like a, a, a funny movie with, um, it doesn't matter. Like there, there are so many movies where this happens, where two people that have everything get laid off in a week and then they end up robbing banks or whatever, you know, like this is, this is so surreal right now. And it's, it's just humorous to me, like how this happened. And so there has to be something bigger at play. And that's the, I guess that became my mantra is I have no idea what it is, but there has to be something bigger. And so we moved home. I mean, we were, we were, thankfully we rented at the time. And we were at a month to month at that point. And the the craziest thing was, is I had been looking for a house we were going to buy. I never wanted to buy up there because taxes in the suburbs of Philly are just, I mean, any in Tennessee, we have no idea what it's really like outside of Tennessee because our, our property taxes are just minuscule. And I just was never comfortable buying up there. And I kept, I kept looking and we were looking at houses and we actually like almost put an offer in on two different houses and nothing, nothing ever felt comfortable. And we never pulled the trigger and thank God we didn't because we were able to just pick up stakes and we were out in two weeks and it was uncomfortable, but it wasn't unbearable. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. And in your overwhelming sense of peace, like I wonder, and then you're, you know, you're kind of laughing on, on the car ride out. Like, I wonder if those two were tied to this, what we just talked about earlier of how you had fallen in love with being a mother and maybe you know, like that overwhelming sense of peace was almost like, oh, yes, like now I can go do this. And then kind of I wonder if part of that laughter was like laughter of joy yeah, of like sure. knowing what you're headed to. For sure. My my daughter was breastfed exclusively. And she when I went back to work, um, she wouldn't take a bottle. So she in two and a half weeks, she'd lost a little over two pounds. And so I'm a first time mom freaking out because my kid's not eating. And then I'm trying to nurse her. She's like overfeeding at night, you know, because that's all she wanted to do is so I'm not sleeping. And so I was, I was tickled to death. And I remember telling my husband, I was like, well, at least we don't have to worry about bottles now because my pediatrician's like, you're going to have to give her formula. And I'd be like, that'd be great if she'd take a bottle, but she's not even taking a bottle. You know, like how do you feed a four month old that doesn't want (laughs) to, you know, and so there was a huge relief in that regard. I was like, yay, I get to, I, I get to be with Adalia. And, and I was, I was with her the whole way. And I enjoyed, I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed the mess out of unemployment. You know, it was the, we had a a nice severance package to make sure that we weren't, you know, destitute. I had family that helped tremendously. My father-in-law is a saint for letting us live there. And honestly, I needed that. I feel like I needed that six months to get corporate America out of my system. I don't know if that makes a ton of sense. And I feel like I've said that a thousand times, but I had been so programmed to work, work, work for somebody else. And that's the only way I can make money that I didn't understand it. And I had interviewed with other companies during this unemployment time. I, um, I had been sending out 
job applications. I had interviews. I went to different companies and would always bring the kid, bring my husband and um, Adalia and the, none of them worked out and all of it just seemed to be for a reason. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much further you want to go along on that train wave, but it was, it was devastating for sure. But it was also, also a peaceful devastation. Did you, did you feel any sense of like complacency or being stagnant? Like you mentioned, you know, you all you knew is corporate America. You've been in it for over a decade. You were kind of in a routine maybe. Like, did you, when this all happened, like, did you maybe f- stop for a moment and think like, oh, maybe I did become kind of complacent and this is the universe like forcing me out? Huh. I don't know if I ever thought about it that way, to be honest. I on the the way that we've always joked about it is my parents were Bible study leaders and they'd been praying us to get home as soon as they found out I was pregnant. And whether or not your listeners are religious, it's neither here nor there, but they we'd been believing we were going to go home since I got pregnant because I didn't want to have a kid and not have family around. And the the joke became, well, the next time that you pray something, be more specific and make sure that we have jobs. Like it was just this humorous, it was this, well, things work out the way they're supposed to. I don't know if I thought about it while I got complacent with life, but more it was, this isn't how I planned on getting home, but I knew I was coming home. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm like wrestling in my mind here with, you know, I walked into this, uh, just thinking out loud here. I walked in this like, oh my gosh, like she had this lifestyle, she had this life. And then you know, every typical American worker's fear, she gets laid off. Then her husband gets laid off the same week. So the whole family is laid off. <laughs> and oh my gosh, this is the end of the world. This is the end of their lives. They have to move back home to mom and dads and, you know, or not mom and dads, but to family. And, and you know, this sucks. But <laughs> but now I'm thinking like, no, this was the best thing that ever happened to you. Like, I'm happy for you now. Yeah. And I don't know if that sounds weird, but like, no. I'm like very happy for you. <laughs> I'm happy too. And I, there, there was a, the, the biggest struggle was like that identity of, I've always associated myself as the, the, the breadwinner, as the, the one that if anybody needed anything, they could come to me. And that was a bit of a transition for me because suddenly if somebody needed something, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I don't have the resources to do that right now. And so it was the best thing for a lot of ways, but it was also very devastating in those same sorts of ways because I I had to change my identity a whole bunch. It wasn't associated with this job. It was it was associated with now, you know, being a mom and thinking about what's best for the family and what do I really want? Do I really want to go to back to 70 plus hour weeks or do I just, you know, the bills are paid and I get to play with the kids every day. That's kind of what I like now. Was it exciting for you to have to like figure out that new identity? I mean, I I imagine that's intimidating, but yeah, it it seems like, like I could just sense a smile on your face. Like you were probably like so excited about that. Like who's the new Jennifer? In, in some ways. Yeah. So the, you'll really love this story. I totally should make like a reality TV show or something like on the romance channel. But the day that I, I signed my, paperwork to take over the yoga studio. I was actually interviewing at my 
my first job was here in Chattanooga at an energy company here in Chattanooga. And I was interviewing for a job and one of my longest friends was on the interview panel. So clearly I had a good chance, you know what I mean? Like if there was ever a shoe in, it would have been that job. Right. And to answer your question with smiles or whatever, like I hadn't a hundred percent given up on that identity. I had a hundred percent decided I was going to buy the yoga studio, but I just assumed that I could do both. You know, I, I, I assumed that I could be both in corporate America and an entrepreneur. I just, cause that just, you know, why not? I'm a mom. I cannot do that too. And as I'm sitting in the interview, I, basically kind of talked them out of hiring me for, for a lack of any other, other way of saying it. And, and I, I told him, I was like, I could do this job and I'll do great at this job, but this isn't my strengths. I can, I can do any number of things, but you wouldn't be getting what I am excellent at. And I basically told them they, they probably could find somebody better. And I walked out of there. I, I told, I think I mentioned this on a, a, a different interview. I, I actually took my, my pantyhose off in the bathroom and left them in the trash in there and walked out. And I just went straight to the lawyers to go buy the yoga studio. And I haven't looked back. So to long story longer, I was smiling at the discovery of that new identity, but I was still dragging along that corporate identity until the very last minute. Yeah, it seems like you were still wrestling with it in your head, which I think is so For natural. Sure. Like, I mean, it's all you knew. So, I mean, exactly trying to rip that off like a Band-Aid is probably unrealistic. But even, it's so funny, but even then, like going back and forth in the interview, you kind of sabotage yourself on purpose. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, yep. while you didn't want to rip the Band-Aid off, you still did. Um, wow, that must have been kind of just a within your head, a, a battle back and forth. It was up until, I'm not kidding you, Tim. I, I was a hundred percent prepared to be in both worlds. And it wasn't until like the interview was an, basically an all day interview. They took me to lunch. I mean, it was one of those things. And the, as they were walking me through the, the, cubicle hell that's my memory of it now and I saw all of these people that I had worked with a decade before and it hit me like I and if you're you're in corporate America most people are like there's no judgment but I, I had experienced that six months of freedom and discovering what I could live without and I could live without a lot I could live without a whole bunch and once I discovered it, I was like, holy crap, I don't want to be here. And as soon as that tour happened and I ran into some some great people that I used to work with and super nice people, it just kind of became that that piece that happened when I got laid off. That same piece happened and I was like, I don't want this. I don't want this. And so it became easy. So this is the day that you signed the papers for the new yoga studio. How did we... So, so you are laid off. You're... Two and a half weeks later, you move back to your hometown with your husband, your family. You're now living with or in the basement apartment. Um, how does the idea of becoming an entrepreneur and opening a yoga studio even cross <laughs> your mind? Like we haven't covered that transition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that's why I loved your first question, where you just kind of threw me in the deep end. That's just kind of how I roll, and hopefully I swim right. So I got into yoga about 10 years ago because I had a hurt back 
and nothing else was working. And we talked about that a little bit. So I, um, the, I did my 200 hour teacher training and then I ultimately got a 500 hours. So that's like the undergraduate and the graduate, if you will, for yoga trainings. And the only reason why I got the 500 hour was because I was going to the school so much and going to the studio so much. The owner was like, all right, Jennifer, you're going to have to pay for 500 hour or you're going to start paying for yoga, you know, cause I was just there anytime the doors were open. I was there because this, this practice saved my quality of life in terms of my physical nature. I'm very, very, very athletic and I always have been. And so I, I had taught yoga on the side just because I love it. And I wanted to have other people experience the same benefits that I had. And, um, so when I got home, I knew an owner of a yoga, yoga studio here in town. And I just taught once a week because it was fun. It was fun. And I loved doing it. And, um, I found out about a yoga studio, another yoga studio here in town that the owner didn't want to do it anymore because it is hard, hard to run a yoga studio. Like everybody thinks, oh, yoga is so awesome. It is a lot of work to run a yoga studio. And um, and so I found a found one that that needed a new owner. And I remember I f- actually found it. We, what was it? We got laid off in Halloween. Uh, we moved home right before Thanksgiving. And around Christmas time, I told my husband about this listing that I'd heard about. And I was already teaching. And we both kind of laughed because still I was still married to the idea of my corporate paycheck. And he was like, yeah, you can't live on that because he knew me. My husband, God bless him. He knows me and he knew me there. I was like, yeah, I know. But wouldn't it be cool? And then I didn't think about it again, like January, February, March, we were just, I was interviewing, I was doing, doing, uh, what is it, resumes and all that stuff. And then finally, when unemployment ended, and nothing had really stuck in terms of jobs, I decided I wanted to do the yoga studio. And my husband, again, he's a saint, he's like, you could do whatever you want, because he knows me, I'm going to just go balls to the walls to be crude. And um, he and at that same day, it was basically the same week, uh, or I think it was like a two week negotiation. I got, I heard back from my old employer and they wanted to interview me for this job. So it was like, as soon as I had decided I wanted to do yoga full time, <laughs> because again, I love it. I love teaching it. Like, this is my jam. The, the, the old identity was like, oh yeah, or you could do this. And so uh, long story, even longer. I got into the yoga studio, just kind of, I fell into it, it and it just made sense. How was your husband through all this? Like, since you both got laid off at the same time and you're a unit, you're a partnership, like how did, was he, were you together emotionally on this? Like you were both kind of processing this in alignment or was he on a different wavelength throughout this? I mean, from the moment you both get laid off through, you know, you possibly going back into corporate America, then to you saying, I'm going to take over a yoga studio. So my husband was in telecom. He was a like in charge of helping to build those cell phone towers all over the the mid-Atlantic states. And when he got laid off, there was an option for him to drive and, and be gone a lot. And that wasn't an option for him because he is he's, I know all the wives talk about how awesome their husbands are, but I mean, I just, I got a still of a deal with this guy. He's, he's an amazing dad and he didn't want to be gone. And so when he got laid off, I was like, don't worry about it, honey. Like we'll figure something out. And I have a feeling had I like gone ape and started throwing things and freaking out, it would have gone a lot worse. (laughs) But I think because we were always like, there's got to be a reason for this. And I don't know what it is, but we're going to be okay. 
we're going to be okay. And I think the fact that my initial reaction wasn't so, and that's very egocentric of me, right? Like, I don't know, but I feel like I contributed a lot to his his ability for us to both be so calm because I was like, babe, I don't know what's going on, but certainly there's something else at work. And so we both maintained this un, uncanny sense of calm. And if he got nervous about it, he did a really good job hiding it from me, but normally I can see it. And I'll have to interview him one day and, or maybe you can and, and ask him these same things, but we, he was nervous. But on the flip side, I think because we, we both just had this knowledge that this something's at work, that we just had this piece about us. Yeah. It's, you know, it's always interesting. I'm curious because, you know, it's not all of this happening obviously affects you, but it also affects your husband. It affects your your children, you know, your family, even those around you, you know, you're then moving back with family and living in, you know, an apartment with the front of theirs and stuff. So, um, you know, I, I'm always cognizant of like, well, I wonder how that might've affected, you know, the others surrounding the situation. I think it made us, it honestly, I think it, it helped Judson and myself because we, we always had the, <laughs> we had whatever the heck we wanted really back in, in those days. And so when, and that's kind of easy to be happy. I know you can't say money can't buy you happiness, but it can take you a long way. You know, like, oh, you want to go do that? Yeah, let's go do that. And we entertained ourselves and we stayed entertained. And then as soon as that was taken away, we were left with ourselves and our daughter. And it was, it was, it was beautiful. I mean, that sounds probably a little bit cheesy and romantic, but we, it was beautiful. We got to spend a lot of time together. We got to spend an amazing amount of time with my daughter and he ended up, his, his, his family has a a construction business. So he was able to fall right back into that. So he didn't stay unemployed for very long and he was still doing something. And I think had he been unemployed for the six months, especially because, and I hate to sound sexist, but men seem to I feel like men need that identity, that, that sense of purpose and they need to provide. So since he was able to fall right back into that rather quickly, I think it helped him transition into allowing me to, to find what it was that I wanted to do. So you decided to take over the yoga studio and, you know, we've just talked a lot about how you were very happy with this life of corporate America and how it's all you knew. Um, I imagine you were quite excited to take over the yoga studio, but I don't imagine you had a lot of knowledge or experience on what that involved. <laughs> and I don't mean None that in all. a bad way. <laughs> None at all. So, so <laughs> what, what was that like? That must have been exciting, but crazy intimidating at the same time. The funniest thing was, is I have always worked in an, a male dominated industry. Like I was always, it, it's, energy trading and then in development like there it's mostly a guy's world over there and so I figured working with women would be a piece of cake which is hilarious hilarious um so I walked in the very first meeting where it was announced that I was taking over oh my gosh the the previous owner was there there was a lady that just went ape on me and I've been in corporate America again for 15 16 years I had never ever been in a meeting with anybody where essentially 
the employee yelled and went ballistic on a boss. I had never seen that in my life. And I've worked on trading floors. Have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? Like legit, like there, there is some truth in that movie of what trading floors are like. And I had never seen that in my very first meeting as a yoga studio owner. It was, it's humorous now, but at the time I remember just being aghast at how somebody could be that way. (laughs) Were they unhappy with that you were, that a new owner was taking over or something? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They were on. And here's the other thing, Tim and yoga is yoga is a business. It's, it's a practice, but uh, the studio is a business and the yoga studios that have been successful and have been profitable. That is because they run it like a business, not because it's, Oh, you know, like very airy fairy come as you will. I love this and all that. It's a business. And the previous business, I, and I have a mass, I've, I've got a master's in business administration with a finance background. So I'm very business oriented, but I also love yoga. You know what I mean? And the two, they can meet together and, and they can have a happy marriage, if you will. But if the, the existing, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? If the existing mentality of the space is not business oriented, it can be rather alarming. And so the the first movie, the first meeting, hello, how are you? I took over, blah, blah, blah. I love having you guys. All of you guys are are such an intricate part of the the studio that is. I think you're doing a great job. Here are some things that we need to to work on to modify our behaviors so that we can grow even more. And when it was the changes that I instituted, it was the idea of it being less, you know, like airy fairy and more, all right, we have, we have reviews. We need to be, we need to, to watch what we're doing. We need to support each other. We need to practice here. You know, like things that you would kind of as a business person think would be, yeah, that makes sense. But if it's never been a, a, practice, if you will, at the studio, it can be alarming. And so that one particular person, man, to this day, I hope I never see, I never, I hope I'm never the, the, the brunt of attack like that again, but I hope I also never see anybody else have to face it because it was, it was shocking and it was in a yoga studio. Of all places. I know, right? Crazy, right? (laughs) She was a yoga teacher. She teaches a lot. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I'm thinking, so earlier you mentioned how over your maternity leave before getting laid off, you really fell in love with being a mom, um, kind of realized you really want to spend more time with your, your child. And then you were actually able to, you and your husband, you know, through circumstance, spending a lot of time. Now you're super excited, this opportunity to open a yoga studio and take it over and, and apply your business acumen. Um, and I want to be careful here because I'm not in any way suggesting that like, women working mothers is not a thing, but <laughs> you know, being an entrepreneur and running a yoga, like you said, running a yoga studio is hard work. Were you in any way a little bit hesitant that like, now this is actually going to take up maybe more of your time than corporate America did. And now like, how are you going to balance that with, you know, your newfound love for family and, you know, now having your first child, like it changed your life. <laughs> That's a good question, Tim, and it's kind of a profound thing. So I naively went into that thinking, went into this business thinking I wouldn't have to work as much. <laughs> okay, so you, and I laugh now. Yeah, you didn't, ex- you didn't expect it to be what it became, which I, none of us ever do. Exactly, exactly. I, I figured, you know, the previous owner had a full time job and she did this on the side, you know, and so I was like, oh, this would be a great part time 
gig for me. So I still get, I'll send my daughter. She went to Mother's Day out two days a week. You know, I'll get 10 hours of working at the studio and then I'll work during that time, you know, and it'll be great. It'll be fine. And I learned really quickly really quickly that it was not that easy. (laughs) And, you know, like if I wanted to take the studio to the next level, which is what I did want to do in the studio, it was, it was fine, but it was, it was a side hustle, you know? So once it became my a hundred percent focus, like things, things had the capacity to really, really grow and change and do amazing things, but it couldn't, it couldn't do amazing things on 10 hours of of Mother's Day out. You know what I mean? So there was a bit of a reconciliation of the ideal and the reality. And what ended up happening is my daughter went to Mother's Day out four days a week. And so she was in childcare 20 hours instead of 10 hours. And it ended up being really good for her. I feel like one, she's now a super social, like that little girl wants to talk, but it was also good for me and healthier for me too, because Believe it or not, my way of mothering is not the only way of mothering. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, right? And um, so it was good for me because I was able to find my my identity again and leading in in leadership and doing something I loved. And then it was good for my daughter because she got some good socialization and and an early introduction to some different type of educational things that I don't think I would have done. And then it was even better because I was able to. because of the flexibility of having my own business. All right. They're going to be in school and I have two. They're going to be in school for 20 hours this week. They come home and they take a nap for about two to, if I'm lucky, three hours. So I'm going to get, you know, 20, maybe 30 hours of, of work in. And after that, I got to cut it off until bedtime. And that's kind of how it's happened. It's we, we create the schedule that's based on being present with the kids. And that's, that's kind of our biggest, our biggest focus. And otherwise I should be in corporate America, right? Like if I'm going to work 24 seven and I do work a lot, but it's mostly when they're sleeping. And now, now you're back around all your family. You're no longer 12 hours away from family. So I imagine Mm -hmm. they play, or I I would imagine, I don't know for sure, but do they play a role in kind of being a support network for you and your husband? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. My mother-in-law comes over every Friday. So, uh, you know, around two or so. So the kids are napping and I can go to the studio and get some stuff done. I was at my sister's house last night. My my parents help. Yeah. I We're, you know, the that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, that's my family, except we're Hispanic. So like <laughs> there's so many parts in that movie that like I'm laughing at and nobody else is because they don't understand. So we're very much into each other's business. There's this amazing network of of help you know and yeah no they're they my kids are going to grow up with cousins that are like siblings i imagine it's awesome oh yeah i mean you know i'm not from a a very large family but i've you know been introduced to large families and there's something about that you ever watch that show parenthood it was on yes years ago oh yes my husband and I loved it. Yeah. We loved it. Like that's just I know it's television and and you know idealistic but how could you not fall in love with that family? Yeah. No, for sure. And there there again even in that in that show there would be parts that I'd be laughing at and my husband wouldn't get because he's from three boys which is a big family and they're kind of tight but there's nothing like the tightness of I guess four daughters. And so there'd be parts that I'm laughing at and he's rolling my and he's rolling his eyes at me. I'm like this is so true. <laughs> 
So no, true. Big families have huge dynamics. Yeah, and that, I feel like that show portrayed those family dynamics so accurately. Oh, like you said, you see the, sure. the little nuances and situations, and you just smile. You're like, that's just that's surreal. Like there was no writing there. That's yeah. just real. <laughs> that's exactly right. And you know, people from small families or like they're really, really proper ones are like, oh my gosh, that's so out of the over the top. And I was like, <laughs> you know, we just giggle. Yeah, there that kind of stuff happens. So I, I'm I'm thinking. <laughs> You know, post, I'm kind of in my head. I, I see pre-laid off and post-laid off life here. Um, just because to me, that's kind of the the part where the unexpected knockdown. I'm thinking after this, once you you get laid off, your husband gets laid off, you know, as we talked about, you end up moving back with family and then opening the yoga studio. Like throughout this whole journey, I imagine, you know, not only... Well, big time, you probably needed that family support network more than ever, and you probably had to ask them for help. But I'm sure there were others you had to ask for help too at all little points along the way. Was that idea of asking for help something that you've always been comfortable with? Or was that something that like you were introduced to after this life event? Oh, God, Tim, that... That, uh, we talked about it a little bit, uh, a, a bit ago. I have always been the one that people came to for, to to receive help. I've never, and this actually came to full head, you know, right around the holidays, actually this year. I, even in that transition, like we still, we had our savings account, so we were still going to pay rent. We still like, we managed, you know, we like the budget constricted a lot, but we still were not going to, what's the, and this, this is a hundred percent where I was crying just like not even a month ago. Cause I felt like it was my ego, but like, that's just not something I've ever been comfortable with. I was the one that everybody came to for help. I had never asked for help. And when I finally got to that place where I had to ask for help, it was incredibly uncomfortable. It was incredibly, and all it was is I just needed to borrow a car that could handle three car seats because we, we, um, we helped out another family and and helped a little baby over the holidays. And, and it had never dawned on me that I wouldn't be able to, I've always like, if I want a new car, I just went and got a new car and we haven't needed a new car since I took off from, from corporate America since I left it. But even though I've been gone now since 2015 and it was around the holidays of 2019, it was, that was the first time that it hit me that I, yeah, no, I just can't go get a new car. And even I'm a slow learner clearly. And that was a huge meltdown for me, Tim. Huge. I, I totally empathize with that. Like I'm the same way. I've always been one. I love to give help. I love to help others, but I've never been comfortable asking for help. It just, I'm trying to pinpoint like in words, it just never felt right. It felt like, no, you're supposed exactly. to be like the biggest thing I always think about is like after college, like six months out of graduation, I'm like, I'm moving out. And my parents were like, well, you know, you don't necessarily have to like why. And I don't know if you remember that movie, Orange County. This is like some random movie, comedy movie from like the early no. 2000s. <laughs> it was with uh, Colin Hanks and uh, it was a Catherine O'Hara. But there was this one line. I have movie to watch where, it now. Oh well, yeah. There might be better ones to spend your time on, but um, he was. He said um, <laughs> he was. He was moving. Uh, was he moving out after? Or no, he was going to go to college after high school. And you know, Catherine Harris playing this funny mom, and she's like, well, "Why do you have to go to college?" 
And he's like, because that's what you do after high school. And <laughs> I, I always thought of this line because I thought, well, of course I'm moving out after college, mom and dad. Like, that's what you do. You're an independent human being. You get. I've been with you for 22 <laughs> years. It's yeah. time to go. And, you know, I look back at that now, and especially having children of my own, I'm like, well, no. I mean, first of all, it's, <laughs> I know, right? it's not so cut and dry. <laughs> like, you know, and I've actually like needed them now so this past well this what you're now it's 2020 oh my gosh but in 2019 you know after quite a long marriage my wife and i got amicably divorced and like our kids we love them we have a, a whole new family unit now and it's amazing but like through that time i did something i've never done since college i went back home part of the time to live with my parents and that you said asking for help, you know, was so uncomfortable for you. I know what you mean. Like that simple idea of like, hey, mom, can I stay at your house, you know, every Tuesday, Thursday? And they're like, yeah, of course you can. Why would you even ask? But I'm like, are you sure? Like, yeah, yeah. No, a hundred percent. Why is that? And so that's hard exactly how. It, it, yeah, that's the that was the same thing I was thinking at Christmas because it ended up being my I have a, a neighbor who's also a can become one of my best friends and she has an SUV that she doesn't use. And she's like, of course you can use it. And I'm like breaking down in tears just to borrow a car for this temporary situation. And it's so uncomfortable. I've never, I've never had to do it. And it was, I don't, I don't know. I, I've, I've come, I've chalked it up to, it was my ego and I needed to, to control that. And I don't know what it is really, but that was how I rationalized it is I was like, I've always been that person that if somebody needed something here, take my car. If you need some, whatever, I, I've got it. And I've never been on the receiving end of it. And it was very uncomfortable because my ego had always been the, the bigger one. That's like, ha, oh, I can do this. I don't need anything. And it was, it was a big slice of humble pie. I don't like humble pie, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us do. And you know, it's like, you, when you ask that person for help, no matter who it is, they're always so willing. Of course, I'll help oh, you. Yeah. Whatever you need. And yet, oh, for sure. Yeah. And yet, the next time we're yet afraid again, it's maybe it is the yeah. ego. I wonder. Yep. Yeah, it was, and 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 again, and probably just the same thing with your with your parents. It's like because they know you've never asked for help, and and everybody, you know, in this network, we're communal beings, right? Like we weren't created to be alone, and we all want to feel supported and loved and needed. And if I am the only one that is doing the support, that robs the other people that are in my same network of their ability to. To feel like they're supporting me, and it's it's a it's a flow, right? It's a it's a give and take, and so it was it was hard to swallow, but it was also very beautiful because it just deepened the relationship. Because nobody in my family had my my older sister had a minivan, but she has three kids, and so it was like, ah. <laughs> but um, it, it was a beautiful thing to be to be able to f fill the the love and to fulfill that need in my friend who's always been there and willing to help me, but I just have never asked. And so it's, it's just taken our relationship even deeper because now it's this mutual, we both love, honor, respect, and need each other. And it's beautiful, but it's uncomfortable. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I love what you said about robbing others of the ability to feel like they're supporting you. I never thought about that. Like, 
I always thought that by my not asking for help, that I'm actually helping others. Like, you don't have to worry about helping me. Like, there's no burden on you. You don't have to expunge any uh, energy toward me. Like, it's better that way. But you rightfully point out that they now don't have the opportunity to help others like like I've been doing. So it's it's really interesting. Like, there's a cycle there that you you identified. And by not accepting help or even asking and then accepting help from others, you actually break the cycle. It was beautiful. It was painful, but it was beautiful. And and I wish I could take credit for it, but it was actually my friend that was like, "You never ask for anything. Let me let me help you." You know, and it was it was beautiful. It was very uncomfortable, but it was still beautiful. And you know, every time that we we help, if we have to 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 help with the baby or whatever, it's easy. I just like, hey, can I have the car keys? And um, it's silly, right? Like I was that upset because I, it's not like I would go out and buy a bigger SUV just for helping out a child every now and then. But the it was the real the realization that I couldn't just if I wanted to, and um, that's ego. That was ego. And then the the ups, how upset I was when I had to ask for help was ego. And it was when I finally kind of came around to all of that and became okay with it. It was this awesome, just like weight and burden had been relieved. It's like, yeah, you know what? It's okay. And I, I have this network of support and let's, let's, let's support each other. And it, it's been awesome. So when you look back now at kind of the past couple of years, um, does it feel, what's the word? I mean, do you feel content? Do you feel ready? Do you feel like you've gotten over the hump? Um, or is just every day of running a yoga studio a new challenge? <laughs> every day of running, well, see, see, now we have our brick and mortar studio and, and I have lots of help there. And so now I'm also trying to grow an online business. So now it's kind of like I have two businesses and then we also have two kids. And um, so every day is a, a ch- <laughs> is a challenge and I was I was just talking with someone as an entrepreneur you've got to it's it's a lot of highs and it's a lot of lows and I imagine it's kind of like that period with with being a parent right like you're so excited that the kid finally took his first steps or you know he's finally going to the bathroom and the potty which is kind of where we are and in my life and then you're like crap he just missed and oh <laughs> so there's all these <laughs> so you can identify because you have two so there's all of these highs and then there's all of these lows and then I feel like as an entrepreneur, it's it's allowing the highs to get as high as you can so that that same high can mitigate the low that can be the lows. Because as an entrepreneur, you eat what you kill, man. And you've got the buck stops with you and you've got to deal with the emails of an angry person that sends an email when it's one degree hotter than they think it should be. Legit, I get emails like that. Or, you know, just it's, it's hard managing the expectations of a couple hundred people every single day and then managing your own sanity with a, a young household and things like that. So I try to allow the highs to be absolutely as high as possible so that when the lows come, I don't go down into those pits. I just kind of, I look down and see where I could go, but I have those highs there to keep, keep me from going all the way down. How do you how do you make the highs as high as you can? Is it a matter of like taking a moment to celebrate them? Is it writing them down or how do you do that? 
I need to get better at it, to be 100% honest, because I am not that great at celebrating them. <laughs> I try to, I try to keep a memory of them. You know, there's like the Ebenezer Stone or whatever, where you like write down all the things, the great and wonderful things that have happened to you. And so I have this mental tally. So when something bad happens, like the, the person that gets irate because it wasn't quiet enough in the lobby, I remember the person who just two days before posted on social media their one year before and after and how yoga has changed their life. And it's like, yeah, that person was a pretty big jerk today and didn't see the big picture. But just two days ago, I had this amazing testimonial about how wonderful everything is. And so every time something bad happens, I try to just remember that we're making an amazing impact on all these other people's lives. And that's, that's kind of how I do it right now. I wish I was organized enough, Tim, to say I wrote it down. And, um, I also wish I was one of those people that celebrated it in the moment, but I, I'm always dreaming. I'm a huge dreamer and I'm, I'm, I usually live three months in the future. And as a result, I don't get to take advantage of the, the beauty of the successes of right now, unless I really focus on it. And so that's kind of been the goal here lately is to try to be present and also be in the future too. Yeah. And I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to do it either. I think, you know, what's working for you is what's most important for you. Right. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join me today. This has been a fantastic conversation and I, I love your story. And like I said, I'm just so genuinely happy for you. As weird as it sounds, like I'm happy that you <laughs> got laid off. You know, like I really think this was a one of those moments where the universe kind of kicked you in a different direction that maybe you were trying to go in the whole time. For sure. For sure. I would never have done this. Somebody else has asked me that. Would you have done this before? And I, oh, heck no. Heck no. I loved, I loved the comfort and security of the way it was. And that was the only way I could have done this is had it been taken away from me. And I am thankful that that, that particular opportunity was taken away. Thank you. I appreciate, I'm glad that you see that. It's been a blessing, 100%. Yeah. I I can't, like I said, thank you so much for, for the last minute and everything. And this has just been great. Like, I'm so happy that we were able to connect. And it one of the most, the biggest joys of the podcasting has been just connecting with folks in what seems like, you know, random ways. But sometimes I'm like, this was meant to be. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. Like every, well, I mean, I, I feel like as soon as we open ourselves up to like these, and this is might sound super yoga cheesy, like as soon as you open yourself up to, like you said, the universe, putting the right people in the right place, taking away the right people at the right time, like as soon as you quit fighting all that crap and I struggle with this and just letting it go and being open to it, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I've loved getting to know you too, Tim, and thank you for sharing the story and Thank you also for making me go back and get a little deeper than I really haven't thought about those things that deep. And you asked some poignant questions that, that got me a little, I, I'm glad you, there was no video because I couldn't sit still and I hope you didn't hear me rustling. I was like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Oh, I got to think about these things. <laughs> so I appreciate you for diving right in and making me get uncomfortable and, and deal with some stuff because I, I clearly hadn't finished dealing with some of it. I don't know if we ever do, do we? It's a it's an ongoing uh, no. process. That's part of life, for sure. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, rate and review us, and share this episode with a friend. Thanks.